All right. Jonathan Edwards, uh, he believed the Bible, and he, he said that there were three pieces that were significant parts of revivals. And he would say that the number one thing was spreading the news of God's work, preaching the truth, and united prayer. And united prayer. I love this little quote. Individual said it like this. He said, prayer is our declaration of dependence. Prayer is our declaration of dependence. If we truly desire revival, and most of us do, we need to go to the source of that hope. We must be look beyond politics. We must look beyond secular solutions. And we need to pray individually and corporately. If you look back in any of the great revivals of history, you're going to find that prayer played an important part in each one of those. The 1620 revival in Ireland was spurred on by prayer meetings. The awakenings in the 1700s were spurred on by societies of prayer. Prayer meetings that gave rise to influence in the 18th century revivals. Our society in the 1742 revival, one person said, it flourished for years because of prayer. During the Great Awakening in Scotland, they say that prayer meetings were actually started by children. By children. The children would be asking their teachers, can we spend some time in prayer? And the teachers would allow them segments of time each day to spend in prayer. And I would like to suggest to you today, and this is probably part of the reason why I'm in this session today, I personally applaud Pastor Wooten and our network's goals in regards to Ohio for Jesus. I think it's a phenomenal thing that, that we're believing God for 250,000 new disciples 25,000 new leaders, 1,000 church plants. That to me is an awesome thing. But I live with a personal conviction that if we are going to accomplish those things, it's not going to be because of any great programs that we have. It's going to be because a group of people get a hold of God in prayer and God responds to those prayers. I believe with all of my heart that we need to remind ourselves on a regular basis that it's that passionate core prayer. It's synchronizing our prayers together. It's that unified time of prayer that touches the heart of God. That power of agreement. Being able to release the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our ministry. You see, I believe that Matthew 18, Acts 1, and Psalms 133 have a great deal in common with unified prayer. Matthew 18. I also tell you this, if two of you agree on here concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking right now because it will bring negative vibe into this house. We've used that too many times as an excuse for a small attendance. And we've missed the importance that God is saying, if two or three of you 
can get on the same page in agreement and unity, great things can begin to happen. Acts 1.14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Psalms 133, how wonderful, how pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, ran down his beard and onto the board of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Ermin that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced, he commands his blessing even life forevermore. See, I find myself saying, John, what is spirituality? What is spiritual growth? What is spiritual formation? What is discipleship? What is leadership development? I believe that part of, not all of, but part of spirituality, spiritual growth, spiritual formation, is the ability to have a personal prayer life active in our lives. The personal prayer life. A time when we really get alone with God. I believe that part of spiritual growth and uh, is, is being able to join together with a group of people on a regular consistent basis praying yes for our church praying for our community praying for the harvest praying for God to move in our midst. You see I dream of a church where we practice scheduled spiritual disciplines. I dream of a church where a significant number of members participate in private devotions. I dream of a church where leadership is growing spiritually. I dream of a church where personal and corporate preparation for worship is a regular part of the weekly schedule. I dream of a church where personal spiritual passion is evident. And I dream of a church where individuals are growing in their relationship with God. A few of you came to the School of the Spirit in the fall and uh, uh, of everything that uh, took place that day. And it was just an awesome day for, for many of us. Uh, Rick DeBose, he, he went to the passage of Scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 9 where, where the disciples were unable to cast out the demon. And Jesus, of course, came onto the scene and, and, and he makes this statement to the disciples afterwards. He says, this kind, this kind cometh out only by prayer. And some translations add fasting. I would suggest to you that Jesus was advocating not a one-time prayer there. Jesus was not advocating their uh, different kind of one-time prayer. Jesus was saying to that group that if we're going to do battle at this level in the spiritual realm, we must have a consistent prayer life where we're not just going to God for that specific thing, but we have an intimate relationship with God that prepares us in advance for those kinds of situations. And that's what I'm talking about today. I want us to see once again the value, the need, and yes, if I could, the urgency for prayer. But not just prayer individually, but corporately. 
I could give you the Scriptures over and over. Matthew 21, Luke chapter 6, Acts chapter 1. Pastor John used some of these Scriptures this morning where, where they gave themselves to prayer. Well, they prayed together where unified prayer was a significant part of the early church. And, and again, I, I grew up in this thing called Pentecost. I grew up in this thing called the Assemblies of God. Many times at this juncture, I will say something like this. I'm the oldest guy here. But too many times we relegated prayer to the shelf. Too many times we, we put prayer on the shelf and, 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 and we talk about it, we focus on it, but a handful of people show up. And I would suggest to you again, if we're going to see the move of God in Ohio, in the United States, in our churches that we desire to see, we must return to a place where prayer is not delegated to the back room or to an odd time or just a handful of people show up. We must put a greater emphasis on the value of prayer. If we're going to do a battle against the enemy of our souls, it's going to be because we do battle on our knees, battle on our face before God. I want us to look just for a few moments this morning at the model prayer. And I'm not going to focus on the prayer itself, but I want to look at the context of it. And uh, I've got a little thing going off here today, and I'll turn it off. But it doesn't bother you, but it's bothering me, so that's okay. Matthew talks about this, and the model prayer does not begin by calling God friend as though we are equals. The model prayer does not begin by calling God master, as though we are his slaves. The model prayer does not begin by calling God king, as though we are his subjects. The model prayer does not begin by calling God teacher, as though we simply come to him for knowledge. And although God is indeed friend, he is indeed master. He's indeed king. And he's indeed teacher. Jesus instructed us to address God as Peter, Abba, Father. It recognizes his authority, but in the context of a trusting relationship, of his life giving love, it welcomes God's offer of protection, guidance, and affirmation. And while the title Father is familiar, Jesus expressed reverence. The archaic phrase be hallowed derives from the Greek verb hageos, which means sanctify, make holy, consecrate. We might pray, paraphrase that first line of the prayer by saying it like this, Father, consecrate your name, make it holy, a sanctified name in my life and in my world. Father, Father. After introducing the prayer, or before introducing the prayer, he, he gives us a, a few phrases, a few contextual things. And in verse 5 of that chapter, he says, when you pray. In verse 6, he says, but when you pray. In verse 7, he says, when you pray. In verse 16, he says, when you fast. Verse 17, but when you fast. I personally think it's interesting that there is one very important phrase to this prayer that he doesn't use the word when. 
he uses the word if. When you pray, when you fast, but if you forgive, if you forgive, I would suggest to you that forgiveness is a choice. I would suggest to you that the ability to hold an offense is a choice. Jesus says, when you pray, when you fast, but he says, if you forgive. Going back to Matthew 18, he says, if two or three agree on any one thing, the context of chapter 18 is not prayer, it's forgiveness. The context of Matthew 18 is not prayer, it's forgiveness. I would suggest to you that, that uh, uh, Psalms 133, what a good and pleasant thing it is to dwell together in unity. I would suggest, just a suggestion. But if we are harboring odd against a brother, we cannot walk in unity with them. If we're unwilling to forgive our sister, we cannot walk in unity with them. I would suggest to you that there's a very important reason why Jesus sandwiches if you forgive in the midst of the contextual part of the Lord's Prayer. Because it speaks directly to unity. And I would suggest to you that when the church begins to understand the Lord's Prayer... And the Lord's Prayer is not our Father who art in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17 where God, Jesus says to the Father, May they be one, even as you, God Father, and I are one. And as long as the church focuses more on other things and not on unity, we're going to have a weakened prayer time. Just a suggestion. Laura, it's just a suggestion. I believe with all of my heart that one of the greatest things we can do in our churches today is come together in unified, passionate prayer. And that may mean that I need to go to a brother and make sure we're okay. It may mean that I need to go to a sister and make sure we're okay because my being okay with my sister impacts very directly my ability to be in unity with my sister, unity with my brother, which impacts the power, the potency of my prayer. See, the enemy's not too much afraid of the church. As long as we're scattered, as long as we're all going in a different direction, as long as he knows he can keep it stirred up a little bit. But I believe when he looks at a church that begins to get, I pray that they would be one even as you and I are one. I believe when he begins to see a church, oh my goodness, they're not worried about offenses anymore. They're, they're forgiven. They're loving. They're, 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 they're a body now. And I think the enemy starts going, oh no. The church is becoming the church. And I believe that's why Jesus was so focused on, yeah, the Lord's prayer, when you pray, when you fast, I believe, but I believe this person is me. 
But I believe there's a significance to him putting that phrase in the middle of that context, if you forgive. Because that unforgiveness hints to disunity, and disunity compromises our power in prayer. Why does he tell us, let not the sun go down on your... Take care of it quick. Take care of it now. We okay? Good. Because I would suggest there are things much more important, and I wish this wasn't being recorded, than my personal feelings, than my personal agenda. There's a kingdom that I was called to advance. There is a kingdom that you were called to advance. And when the Lord of glory says, let's get our eyes focused on the kingdom. Let's get our eyes focused on the mission. Let's get our eyes focused on the lost in our community and the broken in our community and the hurting in our community. Let's forget about some of those personal things. Let's forget about some of those wounds. Let's get over those things. Why? Because there are people out there that need a unified church bombarding heaven on behalf of their community. I'm probably not preaching. I'm probably not teaching now. I'm probably preaching. I apologize. I love that passage. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them. This is John 17. So that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. So that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' prayer for the church is that we would be one. And when the church becomes one in prayer, I believe we can accomplish great and mighty things. The prayer, passionate prayer of unity in our midst. And then we go to Jesus' model prayer again. And another contextual thing, not not the model prayer per se, but going back to that, that passage, he talks about at the end of the prayer, he says, hey, which of you that might have a friend that, that comes to visit and you don't have anything to offer him? It's in the context of the prayer. And he, he goes to his neighbor and he knocks on the door. Now, we live in a different world today. and I'm not going to get into all cultures of that, that situation and so forth. It was a very much an offensive thing that if someone dropped in and you didn't have anything to offer them, that, that was a major offensive thing. You know, you're being a very rude host if you have nothing to give them in the way of food or nourishment, hospitality, and so forth. So this guy drops in. I, I, I don't have any pizza at pizza in the house. I, I, I don't have the, uh, you know, I don't have the ability to do a DoorDash or anything, you know. I, what am I going to do? Well, that was an offensive thing in that day so he gets up and goes to his neighbor and he bangs on his neighbor's door and says hey I had someone visit me and, and, and I don't have anything to offer can you give me some bread can you give me some for neighbor and the guy says man don't bother me don't bother me 
And we find in that context that, that in that situation, the, several times this must have happened, you know, several times, two, three, four, finally, because of the persistence of, of the prayer, the petition, that guy opens the door and, and answers the door and gives him something. Could I suggest to you that Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal? Now, you can take that a lot of different directions. But could it be that sometimes, I know you would never do this, but sometimes we might give up too soon? Could it be? Oh, John, I've prayed for that situation so many times. I've prayed for that situation so many years. I, I don't think God's ever going to answer. I don't think God's ever going to answer. I think it's an interesting thing because the, the concept is that, that even if he doesn't answer because he's a good neighbor, because of persistence, because of persistence, he will answer. And I know we have difficulty when we put that parable, that story, next to a loving Heavenly Father, next to our, because we believe our Heavenly Father wants to answer quickly. We think our Heavenly Father wants to answer, you know, with all the love and the generosity. You know, we have difficulty sometimes. But that's not my God. That's not, He wouldn't ignore my knocks. He wouldn't ignore, you know, my prayers. Could I suggest to you, just a suggestion, this is not dogma. Sometimes when we're pursuing something from God, He wants to do something in us more than what we're pursuing. There's sometimes I got my eyes fixed on this answer prayer. And it's not that God doesn't want to answer that prayer. It's not that God doesn't want to do that. But he sees something in John Musgrave that in my hunger and in my thirst and in my pursuit of him, oh, this is the time that I can work on that other area. And God begins doing something in me that sometimes I'm not even aware that needs done. And so he waits. Because I'm in a position. I've put the clay back on the wheel. I've taken some of the hardness out of the clay and I've said, God, I'm willing. Do it. Oh, okay. Well, while you're here, let's do this other surgery too. And God's done some really cool stuff in my life. Because I approached him out of that persistence, out of that passion, out of that strong desire. Oh God, I'm hungry. Oh God, I'm thirsty. Oh God, I want more. And yes, at some point, a week, a month, a year later, oh, he did answer that prayer. But I look back on the journey and I'm not the same person I was when I started. And I find myself thanking him not only for the answer, but thanking him for some of the other things he did in my life while I was on the journey. I know you're never short-sighted, but I sometimes am. And I'm so glad that God does that. I, I think it's an interesting thing. And I, I think it's interesting that we, we find this alluded to in Daniel chapter 10. 
Daniel chapter 10, of course, Daniel is, is pursuing God and so forth. That, and, uh, and, and, and it's interesting because he begins to fast and pray. And chapter 10, verse uh, 13, <laughs> the angel of the Lord says, 21 days. I've been fighting the prince of Persia. And I would suggest to you that there, there are times when we're praying about something, we are not always confident or certain of what's going on in the heavenly realm. And I would suggest that if we give up too soon, we might not allow what needs to be done in the heavenly realm to actually take place. And so it's that second day. It's that third day. It's that fourth day. Whatever day. And, and the angel comes to Daniel and says, Hey, 21 days ago, I heard you. When you first started praying, I heard you. But I was doing a battle up here. And could I suggest to you that just because you don't see what's going on doesn't mean there's not something else going on. And that's why the church has to be persistent. Some of you in this house have been praying for kids for a long time. Don't stop praying. Some of you in this house have been praying for a mom or dad for a long time. Don't stop praying. Some of you have been praying for revival in your church, in your community for a very long time. Don't stop praying. We're not sure what's going on in that heavenly realm. We're just called to pray. We're just called to seek the Father. We're just called to be on our face before Him and do what we can and allow Him to do what we cannot do. It's another illustration that I refer to in this time. and I would just suggest that when, when honor failed, persistence overcame. There's a story in 2 Kings. Story of Elisha and King Jehoash. Elisha was sick, probably going to die. Jehoash decided to pay him a visit. And Elijah just started dialoguing with him, and he said, Hey, you got a bow and some arrows? Yeah, go get those bow, go get those arrows. And I don't know, a few minutes, an hour passed, they came back. And Elisha said to the king, said, King, I, I want you to take the arrows in your hand. And I want you to strike the ground with them. And the king, one, two, three, he struck the ground. And Elisha was upset with him. Elisha was ticked off at him said, oh, why did you just strike the ground three times? You should have struck the ground five or six or more times because you're only going to win the battle over this enemy three times and then they're going to conquer you. You should have struck the ground until you had no strength. You should have... I think that speaks of passion. I think that speaks of zeal. But it also speaks of persistence. How badly do you want to see God work? How deep is that hunger in your heart to see God do something in your life, in your family, in your church? 
And I don't want to be facetious here, but now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep is not going to win the day. A little dab will do you. might do your hair some good, but it ain't going to do spiritual warfare any good. Some of you have to Google that. Going back to my original thing. Church, and I say this again, not because I've mastered it, not because I'm the... There's just a hunger in my heart that if we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, we have got to elevate prayer to a higher place. A higher place. There are some enemies encroaching on the borders of our nation and in the borders of our churches that we must be willing to do battle. And I'm not talking about political. I'm not talking about social things. and so I'm talking about a spiritual warfare that needs to be fought and will be fought on our faces before God. We must elevate Rick DeVos, Jesus, this kind, this kind, the battles we're facing in our churches today are a different kind of battles than I remember as a kid in this thing called the church. And if that be true, I would suggest that we're going to have to elevate our game in prayer. A passionate prayer that says, God, I'm not going to let an ought between me and my brother keep me from the unity this church needs. I'm going to go make it right with my brother. I'm going to go make it right with my sister because our unity in prayer and in the body of Christ and in kingdom purposes is much more important than my ought or offense. Pastor, I'm uh, John. Uh, uh, Lord, I'm not giving up quickly. I'm going to hit those arrows as many times. As I, if I've got to pray 21 days, if I've got to be persistent and knock on that door over and over and over and over again, I'm going to keep on knocking. I'm going to keep on seeking. I'm going to keep on asking. Why? Because that persistence in prayer, not because God is reluctant, not because God can't or won't answer the prayer, but there are times He's doing something that I. I'm unaware of that he needs to do in preparation for that answered prayer. And I've got to be willing to trust him instead of my thoughts and my ideas. Can you imagine with me some of the everies of this Ohio for Jesus? The pastor leading the congregation in prayers for disciples to be spirit baptized. The pastor praying corporately for disciples. Leaders praying and preparing for the spirit's ministry in the congregation. Church leaders personally praying for salvations in their services. Pastors and ministry directors praying, discussing scripture and spiritual development. Oh, and those that are being saved and discipled. Oh, prayer leading to to target other communities in the area. Lord, help us to plant a church here. Help us to plant a church there. 
Can you imagine leaders personally praying for new churches to be planted all over Ohio? Lord, we're not ready to plant a church yet, but for those that are ready, Lord, give them the things they need to be able to plant that church. Each pastor and lead prayer person praying for community influence. Lord, I pray for my mayor today. Lord, I pray for our city council today. Lord, we pray for our school superintendent and so forth. Oh, can you imagine two significant mission services where all you did was pray for missionaries? Uh, One-fourth of the, the everies that we have for this Ohio for Jesus thing center around prayer. And can you imagine for just a moment... Now, 290-some churches here in our state, Assembly of God churches, if every one of them, every week, lifted some of these prayers to God, that unity that would be brought to pass, not just in your local church, but across this state. Can you imagine that, that you went two or three weeks and nobody got saved, but you said, oh God, we're still believing. And then on the third or fourth week, two people came to Christ, or five people came to Christ. And that happened in 290 churches across the state. Can you imagine 290 times five people getting saved? You do the math. We're getting some people saved. All because we're praying. We're praying. We're believing God for what's going to happen. When the early church was birthed, Jesus said one thing to them. He said, I want you to go make disciples. But then he said, but you're not ready yet. You go to Jerusalem and you wait. But they didn't just wait. They prayed. I would suggest to you that some of you in the house right here, you're doing some waiting. You're waiting on some souls to be saved. You're waiting on some people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're waiting for some people to be called into mission. You're waiting for people to lift their hands. Hey, I'll help with this ministry. I'll help. You're waiting. And and I would suggest you do more than wait. Come together as a group, unified, and begin to bombard heaven for some of those things that you're waiting for. Begin to come together and say, we're not giving up until those souls begin to get saved, until those people begin to be baptized, until those people begin to be called, until we have the workers we need. You persistently bombard heaven. And I believe, I'm foolish enough, I'm naive enough to believe that if the church begins to pray like that, We can change Ohio. We can change our community. We can change this thing called the Assemblies of God. And yes, we can reach the goals that God has birthed in our heart. And in seven, eight, nine years, we're going to celebrate. Oh, look at the number of churches we planted. Look at the number of people that are on their way to heaven now that weren't on their way to heaven. Look at the number of missionaries that we have. Oh, look at the disciples we're making and the leaders we're building. And I would suggest it'll be mainly because there was a group of people like you that said, we're going to pray. We're going to pray at a different level. And we're going to put differences things aside because the kingdom's more important and we're going to hit those arrows to the ground we're going to persist we're going to knock on the door Uh, we're going to wait 21 days or 42 days or whatever until we hear from heaven 
I believe when God begins to lift us to that level, we're going to see things in Byesville. We're going to see things in Dublin. We're going to see things in Miamisburg. Oh, yes, Canton. We're going to see things in Weston. We're going to see things in uh, London and all over this state. And I'm naive enough to believe it it begins with passionate core prayer. And a passionate core prayer that says unity is important. Unity is important. Passionate core prayer that believes persistence. Persistence is important. Persistence is important. I've pastored a couple different churches in my time. And um, early in my pastorate, I used to get frustrated. So frustrated. Because we'd announce a prayer meeting. And, you know, if we had 150, 160 on Sunday morning, we'd have four people show up for prayer meeting. And I, I I'm, confession's good for the soul, okay? You know, I, I wasn't praying. I was angry. Where are these people at? Man, don't they care? And I, I'm not any more mature today than I was then. But I have learned something. I don't have to have 100% of the people in that room to move heaven. I don't have to have the whole house back for prayer. Some would even say, I I just need about 10%. If I can get about 10% of that body to begin to say, we're going to unite in prayer for our church. We're going to begin to unite in prayer for our community. We're going to begin to unite in prayer for, for, for the vision and so forth that God's given us. We can begin to see God change. The temperature, the temperature of the house. So I, I changed my metric a little bit. I no longer tried to get everybody back. I begin to say, do I have a nucleus of people? That in that hour that we're praying, they are one. That's not a prayer for us when we worry about your toenail. It's not a time for us to worry about your hangnail and so forth. We focus on prayer. We focus on kingdom. We focus on the church. We focus on salvations. We focus on vision. It's very guided. It's very directed. But I no longer worry about getting everybody back. Can I get that nucleus of people back in focused prayer? And I have found in my experience that that nucleus of people that really begin to give unified, passionate, persistent prayer, they can begin to change the temperature in the house. They can begin to change the temperature in the house. And when the temperature begins to change in the house, God begins to work. God begins to work. And I would suggest to you, if you're here representing the church, if your pastor's not here, talk to your pastor. Don't do something behind his back. Don't do something, you know, on a covert operation. Talk to your pastor. Something triggered in you today, man, I want us to have a more focused prayer time. I want us to move further in this, this kind. Have your pastor give me a call. I'd be glad to chat with him a little bit further. We just skimmed the surface this morning. 
But going back to the Lord's Prayer, how do we address him? Our Father. Our Father. Hey, it's an authority. I had a wonderful father. I had a great father. I, I feel bad for those that can't say that, but I had a great man of God leading our house. We address him as Father. Relationally, he's my daddy. But then as I walk through that prayer, is there anything here that's hindering unity? Is there anything here that's causing? See, for Jesus, I think it wasn't so much about an offense as it was we need to be one. We need to be together. And once I grab a hold of the will and the purpose and the plan of God, I will to hit the ground with those arrows as many times as I have to. I'm not giving up, Lord. I'm going to smash. These arrows aren't going to be worth a thing when I'm done with them. <laughs> Why? Because you're passionate. I believe God wants to do this. And I believe when we reach that point, God will begin to come and inhabit and move. Amen. I'm going to pause and give you an opportunity for some questions or comments. We got a few minutes here before you need to head out. So, anybody? Any responses, first of all? Uh, tell me I'm crazy. Tell them I'm a lunatic. That's okay. My wife tells me that all the time. So, uh, anyone? Seriously. Is there anything in your hearts? I, I had known that passage about the, um, <clears throat> I had known about the passage with the um, arrows on the ground. And I never put that together with yep. prayer. Yep. And having passion and persistence in my prayers. So, so thank you. Yep. Yep. Anyone else? Seriously, just comment or thought? Yes. Well, you can speak loud or I can come to you. <laughs> um, one, day, one day I read a book about this man in India, I believe he was. I don't know if you read it. I can't remember the name of it. But he walked around the circle of prayer in his little little area seven times every day for many years. He did that. Because he wanted salvation. He wanted his church increase. And at the end of the story, of course, you know, he had it. But it took years. It didn't, doesn't happen yep. overnight. Yep. So then we had a WM group, and we decided we're going to start just praying. So on Sunday morning, we meet in front of the church. Or, well, we meet in the nursery, and the, whoever wants to pray, we pray for our government, pray for the church and kids, anything. We probably, we probably uh, roll it on to, you know, different healings and stuff like that, because we had, like, first meeting, we had 18 prayer twists. And we only have four ladies there. And like you said, four. My church is very small, but we're mighty. Amen. So God does work. We've seen miracles after miracles. So Amen. I do believe prayer. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes. I am part of a worldwide prayer ministry. And a lot of what a pastor is saying, I have heard. But what I like is... Let's get the churches praying. The ministry I'm with is called Moms in Prayer International. We focus on praying for our children and their schools. 
And now I pray for my grandchildren and their schools. And we believe we will pray until we have no more breath. Amen. Or until Jesus returns. One or the Amen. other. Yeah. Prayer, we've seen prayer work. I've seen it work in my children. They're not where they were at all. Their lives have been spared. We've seen situations with schools. Is everything perfect and rosy in our schools? No. We know that. But that's why we need to pray. Amen. Pray, pray, pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, hope. Hope is hang on, pray expectantly. Hope. Hang on, pray expectantly. Amen. Amen. And I just want to encourage you again. My, my heart, the reason I, I wanted to teach this class, this, this session today, goes back again to I really believe that if we, the church, are going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, it's going to be because a group of God's people in each segment of our state really catch the burden for prayer. Amen. The burden for prayer. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. It would be great if it was. But, but each group, and, and again, I, I just think there are some things that we are up against that it's not going to change unless we pray. It's not going to change. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't get involved in uh, some things in our schools and in our community and so forth. Yes, we need to take action, but we need to seed and sow that with prayer, prayer. So. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You've got a few minutes to get to your next session.